Matthew, the 11th chapter, and uh, we'll begin reading in the 7th verse, if you have it on your phone, it's pretty easy to find, or in your Bible. But Matthew 7, it says this, as they departed, Jesus began saying to the multitudes concerning John. What it was, was John's disciples had come, and there was different ones there, had talked to the talked to Jesus, and they had turned around and walked away. They were wondering, you know, some different things and asking some different questions, you know, really concerning Jesus. You know, is this guy the one? Is, is there another one to come? And, uh, you know, they, they were concerned, you know. John had, had a real experience with God. Uh, he had baptized Jesus. When he baptized him in the water, he saw this this the Spirit of God come on him like a dove and descend on him. And the Lord had already told him, whoever this happens to, he's the Son of God. But John had faced some tough times in his life. And, uh, you know, his disciples, and he's in prison at this time, and they said, are you the one? And he said, listen, go back and tell John he's in prison. And, you know, when people are going through a hard time, sometimes there can be a lot of voices coming against you trying to get you to question things. And that's a fact. You ever notice that? When times are good, you're like, woo, everything, oh, it's wonderful. But when pressure is on, man, there can be a lot of opposing voices that try to challenge you, that say, why are you, you going to keep going serving God? Why are you going to really do this? Why are you going to go full blast, you know? Why don't you just back up? Why don't you just back away? Why don't you just forget about that? It's not worth the battle. And he was facing that time. He had this tremendous experience, and here he is now in prison, and he has to send his disciples to say, is this guy the one? And he had already seen a vision, and now he's questioning, is Jesus the one? And so in verse 7, it said, so when they departed to go back and talk to John, it says that as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitude concerning John. He said, why did you go into the wilderness, or what did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? In other words, he's talking about John. He said, now, what did you guys go to see when you guys went out to go hear him? Was it just like a weed blowing, just nothing? And then he said this, but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? In other words, he wasn't a reed that was shaken out there just blowing in the wind. And he wasn't just somebody who went out there to see a man clothed in fine clothing because he wasn't. Because it goes on to say, Indeed, those who wear soft clothing or nice clothes are in king's houses. In other words, he kept saying, whatever you kept going out to see, did you go out to see this? That wasn't it. That wasn't what you went out to see. And it's interesting in verse 9, it says, but what did you go out to see? And it was a question. Because the people kept going to see this John and uh, there were different opinions. You know, there might have been curiosity. They didn't exactly know altogether what it was that they were going out to see. And so he brought up different things that they were thinking maybe. And then it goes on to say, but what did you go out to see? 
And then it says a prophet, like question mark. Was it a prophet you went out to see? Because the, it had grown and the word had grown that there is a prophet in the land. His name's John. And John was the one who was to proclaim and prepare the way of the Lord. But even the people, not all the people that were there recognized really who John was. And so he said, did you go out to see a prophet? And he said, yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. They weren't even sure who he was altogether. And so Jesus straightened them out. He said, you were seen actually more than just your average prophet. He said, for this is he whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So this guy that they were going out to see, he said he was greater than just all the other prophets because he was the actual one who was preparing the way. And Jesus wanted them to know who he was. But, you know, in knowing who he was, it helped them to know who Jesus was. But I wonder today, too, if there are people who really don't know who Jesus is. Just like they didn't know who John was. Maybe they thought, oh, he's this, he's this great guy that's out there that had all these people who followed him. Maybe he was like that reed, you know, they went out to hear this noise that was being made out there. Or maybe they did think he was a prophet or they did think something good about Jesus or that he was some mighty man upon the earth. But the question is, who is Jesus and is he recognized in the Bible? You know, Jesus was recognized in the Bible in Genesis, the third chapter, actually the first chapter. But about his, the first promise after man's life or lives and the, all of mankind got messed up. They had sinned. And then this disease of sin, so to speak, or the, the departure of divine life out of man, eternal life, left him. And all of humanity was in trouble. And so immediately when uh, God talked to the man, Adam, and talked to the Eve woman, he said to her, he said, listen, there's going to come a time that out of your seed, your descendant will face the devil, the serpent, and it will cause a bruise to him, but you'll crush his, he will crush his head. This is the first promise of this Jesus coming, whoever this Jesus was. And so if you will, open to Isaiah and let's look at who Jesus really was. This is needful today. Who is Jesus? Who is he really? And in Isaiah... Most people, in the, at least in the United States, if you've been into a mall before Christmas, you've probably heard these verses right here. It's not, not just a song, but Isaiah 9 verse 6 says this, For unto us a child is born. Now this is about 800 years before Jesus ever came. That's one thing about the Bible that is so fascinating is long before many things occur, God used the Bible to proclaim them. Long before, you know, Jesus ever came, there were scriptures written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that said how he would die, 
where he would be born, how he would have to flee to Egypt for a short time in his life. But you know what's so awesome about the Bible is, is it gives us foreknowledge of things till the very end. Tells us about the governments that will rise up against each other, where wars will be at the end, how people will be acting in their lives. And so it's a real awesome book in the sense that it's accurate. And here it says this, and this was hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. It says, and, and the question is this, if people didn't know who John was, do they really always know who Jesus is? Do they? They didn't when Jesus was on the earth because Jesus even asked one time. He, he asked his disciples, he said, who do people say that I am? So there were, and, and all kinds of opinions came back. They were religious ideas and different things like that. But just like they didn't know John, they didn't really know who Jesus was. And these are some of the verses that actually tell us who Jesus really was and is. And they're startling. They really are. Because I think it's okay for people in the world to go, Jesus was a good man. You know, Jesus was, you know, Savior, you know, whatever that is. But really, this is something that is important to know. It says, for unto us, verse 6, a child is born. So this is that song you maybe have heard. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful counselor. These are interesting names because they are actually names that are that God goes by or the Spirit of God goes by. Notice this, he's called wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God. So notice he's called the child that came, but when the child came, we weren't just looking at a baby in a manger. People were looking at this one who's called Wonderful, who's called Counselor, who's called the Mighty God. How wild is that? He was the Mighty God. But if you just looked at him from the flesh, you could totally be confused. Jesus was so distinct compared to any man that was ever born on the earth in this aspect was he preexisted forever. There's a scripture in Hebrews that says this, concerning and it's quoting a verse it says sacrifice and offering you did not want he said you haven't been well pleased in that in other words why was God not even pleased with all those Old Testament sacrifices because it could never solve the problem man was facing which was being dead in their trespasses and sins their sins could only be forgiven they couldn't get new life. They couldn't get good standing with God that would be acceptable to God. So God came as a man, and it says sacrifice and offering you weren't pleased with. It didn't do the trick, so to speak. He said, but a body you have prepared for me. I don't know about you, but before this, this morning before I got here, I prepared my clothes to be worn. 
and they were pre-prepared. I didn't come into being when I got in my clothes. I know some of you are not getting this right now. I existed before I got into these clothes this morning. Serious. I existed before I got into these clothes. Then I put the clothes on and then I came and you saw me. And I existed before I was in these clothes. And before Jesus was ever in that baby's body, he existed. That's why it said a sacrifice and offering you didn't want. He said, but a body you prepared for me. So he came into this body, but he was God in a body. He was this Jesus that they were all looking at. And notice this. He said, your name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. But notice he's called the Mighty God. This baby or this child is called the Mighty God, the Counselor. In other words, he's the answer to everybody's question. Somebody said, I don't got no questions. Oh, people have questions all the time. (laughs) Why was I born? Why am I miserable? People have questions. Can you be fulfilled? Is there more to life? Is there more after you die? He's the counselor. He's the only one that can properly answer all those questions. And he's called the everlasting father. Why was he called the everlasting father? Because he became God in the earth. He's called the prince or the ruler of peace. And in all reality, peace doesn't come by what you do in life. So many times people try to get peace into them from the outside or trying to control circumstances. You know, people enjoy Christmas, but some people are glad when everybody leaves. And they make statements like this, finally peace. Now, if you're a relative and you're leaving, I'm not saying that's what your family is saying. (laughs) Finally, peace. But you could answer them back and say, you're not going to find real peace just from us leaving. Because we'll come back. (laughs) No. No. Real peace only comes from the Lord. So it doesn't matter the noise. Noise doesn't promote or the absence of noise bring peace. Jesus is the prince. He's, you could say he's our God, peace. And it says he's the prince of peace. And it says, and of the increase of his government. Or the King James says of his kingdom. And peace, there will be no end. Somehow, when he came... He was not all to us what he was going to be, but he was all he was. The Bible said, in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, in him, all of it dwelt. Though, while he was on the earth, he wasn't our answer yet, meaning the answer was there, but it's kind of like if you've got a check and you're going to pay off your mortgage or pay off a car or pay off something, you've got the goods, 
but it hasn't done anything for you yet. I mean, you might be excited because you're looking at the check. You're like, "Woo! I'm going to be paying off my house. Or I'm going to be paying off my car. Or I'm going to be paying off this credit card that's been here seemingly, it feels like, all my life. So he was here on the scene, but it wasn't until he died and rose again that it was all paid off, what you needed. But the payment was there. They were watching a peculiar thing the whole time he was alive. And people who don't know looked at his life and thought, man, this is fascinating. People get healed. People get delivered from mental bondages. People who are worn out and tired are getting relief. And they're watching this as he's living, but he was God among us. And it says, and of the increase of his kingdom or government and peace, there will be no end. In other words, he came and people had watched governments fall. We're going to watch governments fall. You know, what's so wild is you could look like a genius and really not be one. And you could tell people someday Russia or a bunch of those countries around Israel are going to come against them and they're going to get beaten to a pulp. And Syria then, at some point, their Damascus will be laid waste and will never be inhabited again. It's wild these things are starting to occur today where we're seeing the beginning of these things. They were a precursor. They are mentioned actually in the Bible that these things would happen. But here's what's interesting. We know right there that certain governments will fall. Some will not make it. But the kingdom he rules over will make it forever and ever and ever. Satan's kingdom won't make it forever. So some people say, you know, I'm just going to go with him. That's where the party is. Uh, no, it's not. And the party won't last forever. And he said that. He said, but his kingdom is going to last forever and ever. And it says the increase of his government or kingdom and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. In other words, God's very passion is going to make all this come to pass and be so. Period. Period. I mean, that's pretty awesome. He makes a statement that this child, this baby, is going to sit on the throne of David. Well, what is the throne of David? Well, you have to come back next week. No, turn to John 14. What is the throne of David? That's an interesting question because we know the throne that David sat on, Saul sat on first. And this child would sit on this throne forever. Forever. And what is this throne? Well, first of all, if you go back and read, I believe it's 1 Samuel 8, there was a time when the children of Israel wanted to be like all the rest of the world. They said, we don't, 
we don't like this fact that God rules over us as a country and gives us direction. We want to be like everybody else and have a king just like everybody else. We don't, we don't want God. We want a natural king. We want our own president, so to speak. And uh, Samuel, who is a prophet, went to God and said, hey, God, they want this. This is not a good thing. And uh, because things were not that favorable in their lives at that time. Some of the new religious people, Samuel's kids, were not governing correctly, doing stuff right. And the people said, we're tired of this way. We want to go be like the rest of the world and got, have what they have. Live like they live. And Samuel said, all right, I'm going to take this before God. And you know what God said? He said, if this is what they want, I will let them have what they want. He said, and Samuel was kind of not real pleased about this. And you know what's interesting? God answered him and said, hey, Samuel, they, they didn't reject you in this. He said, they've rejected me. So because they, you know, have rejected me, he said, it's going to cost them now because they have told me to leave. So they're going to get a king, but they're going to get leanness to their own soul, and they're going to be empty, and they're not just going to be able to go to me to have me direct this kingdom. There's going to be natural people over it. But eventually, that first king died, and then David was there, a man after God's own heart, and so the kingdom that David sat in ultimately was not supposed to be sat in by a natural man. It was actually supposed to be a seat that God ruled from. And isn't it interesting, this little child that was born about 2,000 years ago was destined to sit in a seat that was not supposed to be ruled by a man. That's one of the unique things about the country of, that we call Israel is they were not to be ruled by a natural king, president, ruler. They were actually supposed to be able to be getting direction directly from God. They're unique. The United States is not like that. We were never intended to be like that. That is a unique thing to them. The rest of the world didn't get this opportunity to have a king and a kingdom over them and a ruler who would be God. Because the Bible, if you've been here, we've been teaching in Ephesians, where it says the world is a stranger to the covenants and strangers to the commonwealth of Israel. They were not invited in to all the blessings and all the promises. But we know, because we've read the verses that through Jesus we all enter into that kingdom. Not the literal earthly one, but the heavenly one. Well, who sits on that one? This little child was destined to sit there. And who is this child? Well, we know him as Jesus, but in all reality, who is he? Here's what I find interesting is man had been confused about God. Man has worshipped other gods. Man has said, it's okay to just go any direction you want to go. And to end the confusion of all the ideas about God, God came himself to end the confusion so that anybody could now read their Bible 
and find out who in the world he is. Who is this real, who is the real Jesus? You know, when we were little, we'd watch those shows like What's My Line or whatever, or who, you know, they had to guess who the person was. And there's been a lot of people trying to guess who, who, who is God and who's the right way. But what's awesome is Jesus came as a man, then grew up because he wasn't always a baby. And why did, not the only reason he came, but one reason he came was to distill and get rid of all the confusion about who he was and who God was. Because we had all had opportunity to look into the heavens and go, this is bigger than man, there's got to be a God out there. And then people came up with all kinds of ideas. But if you'll turn to Matthew, or I'm sorry, John 14. John 14. Jesus tells us who he was. Who was this baby? Who was this guy that walked around the earth for all those years? Was he a good man? Was he just another prophet? Who was he? And John 14, the disciples, and Philip in particularly, was asking the Lord, you know, Jesus was explaining about the Father and different things and who God was. And then this statement comes right here in verse 8, and then we'll read verse 9, 14.8. It says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. In other words, show us God. We need to see him because the Lord, because Jesus had been talking about him. And he said, and it's sufficient for us. That's all we need. You, you just show us God. You show us the Father. Now, Jesus is born. He's grown. He's lived his life for a big chunk. He's coming to the end. They've watched him perform miracles, cast out devils, walk on water. They saw him multiply loaves and fish. They saw him, some of them saw him get up on a mountain and become transfigured and start glowing in front of them. And two Old Testament prophets that were long but dead appeared and started speaking and a voice came out of a cloud. They saw this happen with their own eyes and they're like, Jesus, show us the Father, show us God. But they had been around watching miracle after miracle. As a matter of fact, John, at the end of his writing of this book, said, we saw so many miracles and so many things happen when Jesus was on the earth. He said, we suppose if you wrote them all down in all the books that were, are in the earth, you couldn't even contain them. But he said, these were just written down just enough so you could believe. So for every healing that we see in the Bible, there might have been Tens of thousands more. For every time a loaf and a bread was multiplied or a demon was cast out or, you know, different things occurred and freedom came and different experiences happened, there could have been tens upon tens of thousands more that occurred, but they just wrote enough just so we could read it and get a clear enough understanding. But he said it wouldn't even fit in all the books in all the world. But he said, there's enough so that you might believe. What is it that we're to believe? Notice this in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? Now, what are they asking? Show us God. Please show us God. We need to see him. Just, just, show, just make it clear. And he said, I've been with you so long. And you have not known me? He said, Philip. 
he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? He said, you've been watching me this whole time, and I've been doing everything I've been doing, living the way I've been living, so you could see that I was God. I wanted to show you God plain and clear, so everybody know who I was. There's an interesting verse, two of them actually, and we'll close with this in 1 John. One says this, he's talked about Jesus coming, but he didn't just call him Jesus. He made this interesting statement. To me, these are fascinating, fascinating verses. Because when we talk about Jesus, what are we talking about? We're talking about God. When people say, I don't have time for Jesus, then people ought to just say, I don't have time for God. When people make room for Jesus, they're actually making room for God. When we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, we're actually celebrating God coming into the earth. That's a peculiar thing. I mean, that's a spike in time. You know, I, I, I like to hike and ride my mountain bike, and I use apps, you know, on, on, on my phone. And, uh, you know, you can see your progress, you know, on a little spike thing like this. And then sometimes you'll see this spike that goes to the top and to the bottom, and you know you stopped right there. And then you keep going, and it changes and goes like this, but there's a big spike right in the middle. That spike can be pretty wide if you stop for a while. But that's how time was. For thousands of years, there became a spike. The God all of a sudden showed up here. He had been speaking to man, dealing with man, causing miracles to happen. But then he just showed up. Then after he's gone, miracles still happen. God still does stuff, but he works through people now. But he was here, and he will be back here again sometime soon. Notice this. I'm going to read this, and, and we're going to close with these, I believe. Verse 1, 1 John 1, 1, way back in the back of your Bible there, right before the book of Revelation. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which our eyes are seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. Notice he said, this is from back in the beginning. This was, this was from way back. This is currents that came. It says, concerning the word of life. He said, the life was manifested. What life is he talking about? He's talking about the eternal life of God. He said, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life. What was it that came that day? God. What else came that day? Eternal life. Man, you can't say that about anybody who ever came. 
but Jesus that we got to see, if we lived back then, eternal life appear right in front of us. God and eternal life. No wonder Jesus said this when he was about to die. He said, nobody can take my life from me because the king said, I could kill you. He said, you can't kill me. Why? You're talking about eternal life. He said, nobody can take my life from me. He said, I have to lay it down of my own accord. And he said, and I'm just going to tell you this too. And he said, and I'll receive it back up again. So he laid down his life and then three days later it raised back up. Well, because we watched eternal life become a man. We watched God become flesh. We saw him allow people to destroy that body. And then he quickened it back up. But nobody could kill him. He was eternal life. He was God in the flesh. And notice it says, and the life was manifested and we have seen. So when they're talking about what they saw when they saw Jesus, and they said, and we bear witness and we declare to you that eternal life was, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. He said, we just want to let you guys know we got to live with him. We actually watched eternal life come in humanity, live with us, die, and rise again. So though we're celebrating the birth of this man, Jesus, we're really, really celebrating God coming to help mankind. Because really, the birth is not a lot without the death. And the death is not much without the resurrection. One thing we can say is we serve a miracle. And miracles beget miracles. Isn't it interesting? In the Bible, when God created the earth, he said this before. It all went down right as it started. He said, everything will produce after its own kind. Birds will produce birds. Sunflower seeds will produce sunflowers and sunflower seeds. But the fact of the matter is, his birth was a miracle. It was God among us. And his birth creates miracles today for anybody who receives him. They get a miracle called the rebirth. Their spirits are made alive. And not only that, that the eternal life that lived for those years on the earth, the Bible said, then you get eternal life on the inside of you. So when you get Jesus, you get God. When you get God, you get eternal life. You get to live forever. And what's awesome is we're celebrating the birth of this little one, but he didn't just start there. He's been around, and that little one grew up, but he's God. Guess what? He's coming back too. So we can celebrate that, but we can celebrate his birth.